Blog Talk Radio. Olympics to talk about, got a Major League Baseball legend 
ending a career to talk about. Uh, got a gift at 6.15. John Henson scheduled to join us, sports editor of my hometown paper, the Harlan Daily Enterprise, to talk a little hot about and some MLB as well. Don't just always dive into MLB, but John is a big MLB fan, so so a little fun talking MLB with him. We are deep into the second half of the season now. Uh, the group teams, like your Baltimore Orioles and all the other division leaders, are preparing for playoff runs and positioning and all that. So we're talking MLB and having a little bit of fun. But the first thing on the, on the basketball front, um, we see that E.J. Florial is going to be making the move to track. Uh, we had his father on, Edric Florial. Uh, we definitely want to have him on again. E.J. has track in his blood. His mother, silver medalist, went to Tennessee. Uh, his father, one of the best track coaches out there. We saw what they did last year. And now we won't see EJ on the sidelines celebrating um, like we had the past three seasons because now he's going to focus solely on track, and we definitely wish him well in that, and we know he'll do well in that. Yeah, and that just shows you what kind of phenomenal athlete he is to be able to to take care of two disciplines uh, at this level. That's phenomenal. Uh, wish him nothing but the best, I think. Uh, I can't remember who posted this on Twitter. You know, it's all so much information. But uh, one thing I noticed, this person knows the same thing, that whenever there were, you know, make-a-wish kids that are being the ball, boys and girls and and that kind of thing, he was always one of the uh, number one cats that would uh, really kind of go out of his way. Now, let me say that they're all really great with, with the kids and the fans and everything. But he would always come out early and, and do things and kind of be the liaison, if you will, with a lot of those kids. So he'll definitely be missed uh, on the on the basketball side of things. But he has a chance to really show what he can do uh, on the track side. And, and we know that the track program with Coach Florial, his dad, uh, we know that that is up and coming and becoming one of the better programs in the country. So, uh not, not bad to be a contributor uh, on the basketball team and now on the uh, track team. That's not a not a not a bad way to go. Absolutely, absolutely. Eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three. The number to give us a ring um, at Cat Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. And like we mentioned, his, his mother, uh, Mrs. Floreal. Uh, she was even tweeting at us when we had Coach Floreal on the show. Uh, she is a distinguished track athlete herself. Uh, she went to Tennessee, uh, won some Olympic silver medal. So uh, the pedigree is there for EJ, and the coaching is there. So uh, he's definitely, uh, like you said, the athleticism is there. So he's definitely got a, a bright future on the track side as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so wish him the best. Once a, it's not even like once a cat, always a cat. He's still a cat. He's just going to yeah. be in another discipline. Uh, so it's not as if we won't still see him in the blue and white. So that's definitely uh, fantastic. The basketball right. team's loss is going to be the track team's gain. 
but that's how we that's do right. all cats everything. Uh, you know, we kind of touched on this. I was able to guest host for friend of the show, Michelle Brown, on Big Blue Views. I sat in for Kristen. And, again, it's, it's all cats everything. That is uh, the mantra for everything. So just because he's leaving the basketball team doesn't mean he's, he's leaving Big Blue Nation. You know, he's just going to another state in the Big Blue Nation. That's all that is. <laughs> exactly. And while we wait, we got about four or five minutes before John Henson said to call us in, call in, talk with us. We know you and I are both kind of wait till they get here as far as the recruits and all that. We're not like looking ahead two or three years to see who Kentucky's offering and see who has Kentucky on their list. I mean, we just don't really do that. Are you still just more in wait till Big Blue Madness mode, wait till games start as far as these new guys that are here? Or have you kind of already been peeking and listening to what's being heard, what's coming out of these pickup games over the summer with Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox, Bam Adebayo, and, and all those guys playing over the summer? Are you are you still just waiting to just check out the new guys when they come, or are you kind of peeking and listening to what's being said? I'm, I'm peeking because, I mean, they're, they're cats now. These, these guys are, are good to go. Uh, my understanding is they're on campus participating. They are doing, um, playing those, those I, I think, infamous pickup games. And I think that has been one of the underreported uh, aspects of, of what Cal has done because uh, he's got a lot of former cats coming back to kind of scout out the new guys. Uh, you know, my thing is if, if Tyler Ewis says you're doing okay, you're doing okay. I mean, that's, that's become my barometer. But if you've got old guys kind of saying, hey, these new guys, they know what it takes, uh, then that's a good thing. But really, uh, my thing is I'm not going to really get into the swing of basketball really until Big Blue Madness. There's, there's so many things going on prior to that uh, that I don't want to shortchange uh, the other student-athletes before we get to – uh, basketball. Right, right. So, yeah, but, you know, the things being heard and said and leaked, if you will, are good. Uh, Clear Jones, I forgot to mention him as well. Even the news about Isaac Humphreys, Isaac uh, being leaner and more athletic. Just can't wait to see how it all pieces itself together. But we are looking forward Squarely, uh, right now, to football, as you know, once that gets rolling, then we'll get to Big Blue Madness in the middle of the season. Football, we had some news with some, some departures. One kind of, uh, the other one kind of major. Uh, Daryl Long is transferring. He's a tight end. And, of course, we've, we've all heard the tight ends have been used more. He's a comrade to be that position. And some other guys coming up to that position just to create some others that are pushing to get on the field. So it looks like Daryl Long was leaving just because he wanted to get some playing time elsewhere. Uh, but the one that was a blow was Rich Mint, looking to be out indefinitely now uh, for personal reasons. 
he being one of the more experienced D lineman attorney. Uh, and so now he's not going to be there for the season, which is a blow to an already questionable position on the field. So that was kind of the bigger nuggets of news from the U.K. football front as they are now in camp for nearly a week. Yeah, yeah, we've said it. I think every publication that has covered Kentucky has said that the defensive line, that is a question mark, and this departure doesn't help. But uh, I, I think that this is really going to give some other guys an opportunity. Uh, the thing is, they've got to take care of business against, and I don't want to say lesser opponents, but I will say opponents not nearly as strong as what we might see in conference. They, they've really got to build their confidence. Young guys have, have got to step up and, and get up to SEC speed. That's, that's where we are right now. Uh, so uh, my thing is, the, and we said this last week when we went schedule uh, game by game in the schedule, that that Southern Miss game is going to tell us an awful lot. How they how they finish, how they go, that's that's going to be a a pretty big uh, indicator on on how uh, this this season is going to go. So if the defensive line can get after it, you know Freddie Maggard had talked a little bit about Southern Miss's offense. Uh, but if they can um, get after it in, in, in against Southern Miss, that's going to set the tone for uh, the rest of the year. Yeah, without question, without question. And we will now drop down and talk about the high school level of football in the state of Kentucky. Uh, we have our guest on the line, sports editor of the Harlan Daily Enterprise, Mr. Don Henson is taking time out of his evening to join us on the show. Don, welcome to Cat Talk Wednesday with Vinnie Hardy and Terry Brown. Appreciate you calling in. How are you, Steve? Oh, doing good. Good to talk to you guys. We appreciate yeah, having coming on. you. Yes, I was telling TV, Terry's from Louisville, so we've been doing this show for a couple of years, and he's learning more and more about Harlan County with each passing guest because I'm always – Happy to put some of my fellow Harlan Countyans on, and that includes Phil. We had Coach Eddie Creech on last week to kind of talk about the Black Bears and just kind of wanted to follow it up just a little bit with you, but just kind of preview the whole, the entire district with the Black Bears, North Laurel, and all those guys. How's it kind of shaping up this year in your eyes? Well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I do the Cats Falls preview every year and uh, so I talked to the coaches for that and North Laurel the, the magazine's out now but North Laurel was the uh, the favorite Harlan County a pretty solid second after finishing second last year when really uh, not many people thought that they'd, they'd, they'd do that well uh, coming off uh, the worst year in, in school history the year before and, and last year they weren't playing really well early but uh, but they put it together and, and put uh, you know, three good nice district performances together and ended up second. And, you know, the best thing about Harlan County is that they had 19 to 22 starters uh, were underclassmen last year. Most of them were uh, sophomores. Even one freshman started on the on the defensive side. So all those guys are back now, and uh, you're older and you're stronger. And I think the expectations are a little higher than, than the year before. And while North is the uh, 
the, the favorite, I think that, you know, a lot of people think chances uh, of Harlan County actually winning the district again are probably a lot better than they were last year. And as we talked about that with Coach Creech, because uh, the Black Bears were 3-1 and one in the district. Now, the out-of-district game wasn't what they normally like to see, and that, of course, affects the overall record. But 3-1, and one, second on the North Lower at 4-0, and oh, did they take – I mean, they were disappointed, of course, not winning the district, but are, does that – their confidence going into this season, you know, with Coach Creech and company as a second-year head coach, knowing that they can hold their own in the district. Oh, yeah, I think so. I don't think anyone was disappointed last year that they, they didn't win the district. I, realistically, that, that was going to be a really hard thing to do when you were, you know, two and nine the year before and, and um, uh, struggled as they did after really dominating the district, you know, winning it four straight years before that. Uh, you know, they, they really, uh, you know, fell on hard times, but they started to recover last year, and I think that has to be a, a confidence boost because, you know, they went in their district schedule last year with only one win at the time and, and had been blown out by some really good competition at that point. Belfry, Johnson Central, uh, uh, Plasky Southwestern, uh, you know, they just play a lot of the best Eastern Kentucky teams year in, year out. Ended the year with Bell County, uh, uh, lost their last non-district game, but it was competitive. Uh, but, you know, I think they have to feel pretty good about themselves, you know, going into the season. Absolutely. We're talking with John Henson, sports editor of the Harlan Daily Enterprise. So it looks like North Lower Harlan County kind of predicted or expected to duplicate what they did last year. Or what are the potential or what which lower team below them has a chance of maybe rising up and and inserting themselves into the mix uh, and surprising? Well, yeah, I think all of them do. I, you know, you just don't know at this point of the year who's going to put things together. I think you can look at all of them and say, you know, they have some positives and they have some, some possibilities there. Willie County lost its best player, Luke Woods, was the quarterback last year, and he, he did it all, 1,778 yards passing, 1,764 yards rushing. So that is pretty good balance there for one person to, to supply that much offense. But you know, they've traditionally been a pretty strong team, and, you know, they've won the district in the past. They're dangerous, and, and, and Letcher Central, I, you know, it's kind of hard to put a lot into these passing scrimmages, but they beat Harlan County twice uh, last uh, week, two weeks ago now, I guess it's been at South Laurel. Uh, and, again, you know, there's no tackling, there's no line play, so there's a lot of things that, that, that aren't part of those games, but Letcher Central looked real good in that, in that passing scrimmage. They won the entire tournament over there. Uh, you know, they have a first-year coach, Junior Matthews, who played at, at Letcher and, and – uh, you know, bringing some excitement to the uh, the program there. They had a down year last year, but but they're dangerous. And then, of course, Perry Central has Tom Larkey, who who built this Harlan County program, winning two region championships in in a three year period, and and winning four straight district championships. Pretty amazing run when you think about it. And he's at Perry Central now. They had a really tough year last year. They didn't make the playoffs. So two and eight. The numbers aren't real good. They don't have a lot of tradition in football, basketball. They do, but not not in football in Perry County. So you never know when, you know, he might turn it around there at Perry Central. So I think all three of those teams are dangerous. And the fact that North Laurel, while being so good last year, they lost more than anyone else. But they do still have some talent and had a real good sophomore class like Harlan County. Plus they went all the way to the regional finals last year and, and played the defending state champions 
pretty tough. So, uh, you know, you, you certainly can't write North off. They, you know, they are the favorite, but I think everyone feels like they've come a little uh, closer to the pack now with, with some of the graduation losses they had. Absolutely. So it's shaping up to be a fun race uh, once again. Uh, when it comes to Harlan County, are they still wanting to be more of a power running team? Are they want to balance it out? They had their brothers. What would kind of be their identity on the offensive side? Well, you know, they opened it up a lot more last year. Coach Creech was, you know, very good quarterback at Cumberland. They had a real, uh, you know, big-time passing offense there for a couple of years. He put up some tremendous numbers when he was there. So, you know, he likes to have a quarterback who can throw. And Jacob Branson uh, is a junior now. Started midway through the season last year. He can throw it, and they have a couple of receivers. Uh, but I think they're going to be closer to 50-50 this year, and I think they'll probably actually run it more than they – they throw it eventually uh, because they just have such a um, uh, backlog of good running backs there now. Now they've got four or five guys who uh, who have potential to be really good. Uh, you know, some people back from from last year with with uh, Red Allred, Paul Stapleton was in Harlem for a year. Now he's back. He uh, he carried it some last year for Harlem before he suffered an injury. Uh, Chase Coker was a really good running back in middle school. He's not played in a couple of years. You know, he's there. Quentin Mickens, their best defensive player last year, is going to see some action in the backfield. And then Tyree Simmons is a receiver who is just a threat wherever he gets the ball. He could he could play a little running back uh, too. So, you know, a lot of people that are capable of, of doing some damage on the ground. So I think it's going to be uh, kind of tough for Coach Screech not to uh, to put the ball, uh, you, know, uh, you know, keep it on the ground some with, with some of the weapons he has there. But I know he doesn't want to become real – Predictable. Harlan County was definitely a running team the first four or five years of the program. They did it very well, and, and a lot of the reason behind that was they had a very good offensive line, and I think that's a, a key for this group and for this offensive line to develop to be close to the kind of uh, group they had here the first five or six years of the school. I think that's a key there as far as some of those guys uh, becoming more mature. They're, they're a senior-dominated group on the offensive line, and they have some good size, two or three guys around 300 pounds. So I think the potential is there for them to be able to run it more. But I think by the by the end of the year, I think you'll see a team that's fairly well balanced. Talking with sports editor of the Harlan Daily Enterprise, John Henson. As far as sleeper players, players that have made step up and make an impact, who are some of the kind of dark horse players that, uh, make a name for themselves this season. Well, you know, you know, you look at uh, you look at Lyman, and they, and they always kind of get left out, and I'm guilty of doing that too. Writing uh, game stories, it's it's hard to say a whole lot. But you've got some guys, like I said, on that offensive front that are going to need to have big years. Braden Roark, a, a senior. Jacob Cornett, uh, a senior. Uh, Castellari, Tyler Castellari, a senior. Uh, you know, junior Andrew Baker is up around 300 pounds now as a tackle, and Noel Wood is the starting center. I think those guys are going to be pretty important to uh, to the uh, success of that running game. And then you have some people on on defense. I mentioned Mickens earlier, Kenan Napier, good linebacker, Rhett Allred, um, uh, Carmichael there who can can run it, and and also is a good linebacker. Gary Henson was uh, second on the team in tackle last year as a freshman. He's back at, at, at a linebacker, and, and 
some good defensive backs there. I didn't mention earlier, Colby King, very fast, probably as fast as anybody on the team. Uh, you know, he's a playmaker there uh, on special teams and in the secondary. But, again, I think, you know, going back to, to Tyree Simmons, I think he's the he's the best player, and he's the guy that can make a difference. When, when he touches the ball, you know, good things can, can really happen for Harlan County. And talking with you, um, of course, you know, I graduated from Cumberland in 1996, you know, well before all three schools for those outside of Harlan County. Cumberland came with Everett consolidated and formed what is now Harlan County High School. But talking with you, I think I mentioned it, you know, last week when I was talking with you to see about coming on the show, uh, it kind of just makes me date myself. Uh, I used to work in Harlan before moving. I worked at the bank there in Harlan, Harlan National Bank. We talked about Gary Henson last week on the phone, and I worked with Gary's dad at the bank, and I moved away from Harley County in 2001, and here he is, a freshman or sophomore, right when, you know, Gary and his wife had had Gary as a newborn, and here he is now, sophomore, playing for Harley County. I mentioned Tyreek Simmons. I was school with his dad and uncle up at Cumberland, so it was just really, really surreal hearing all these names uh, as you mentioned them, as you covered them for the, the Black Rangers coming. Well, you know, it'll only get worse for you. I can tell you that from experience. Look, I graduated from uh, I graduated from Kaywood in 1981. I was there with Phil Cox, who was Mr. Basketball that season, and went on to play at Vanderbilt. And I started working at the Enterprise in 1985. And, and uh, um, now I'm on second generation players. A bunch of guys I covered, including Gary's dad, who's my first cousin, uh, was playing for Kaywood in the mid 80s. He was an all-state defense to the end, and he played against a guy named Freddie Maggard. You guys know a lot about it. Uh, Cumberland, who, who led Cumberland to a state runner-up, finished his senior year, went on to play at the University of Kentucky. Um, but a lot of those guys that played in that area now have sons that are playing. And, and uh, you know, I fully expect, hopefully, if I'm still around, to see some grandsons here in, in the not-too-distant future of guys that uh, I covered in the uh, in the 80s. So, yeah, that's, you know, the, the alternative is not good, I suppose. So, uh, you yeah, know, that's that is going to happen, but the uh, first time uh, the Cochran kid at Everett, his son played um, at Harlan a few years ago, or no, played at Everett a few years ago, and uh, uh, I covered him the first year I was at Enterprise, and then he's already graduated from uh, from Everett High School before you know the mergers eight years ago. Uh, so, uh, but that first time that happened, it did seem kind of weird, but now I'm, I'm starting to get used to it. Right, right. So, eighty-five. Started. Uh, did you cover all three football? Well, I guess all four football teams coming there with Kingwood and Harlan. Were you on all four right off the bat? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We covered. Of course, we had a pretty big staff, and I had a lot of stringers. And we, I was the managing editor for years, so I was actually helping out in sports. Even I loved doing it. So, you know, it was not really a job for me. But you know, I would cover a game. Whatever sports guy would cover a game. We'd have two stringers covering a game. Um, you know, we just we'd be here all night on Friday nights during football season. And then during basketball, you have boys playing, maybe girls playing. I think one night we had seven different basketball games. The way things played out, and you know, I remember uh, when I was in high school, Lynch High School closed my senior year. So when growing up, there were five high schools in, in Harlan County, and of course, I heard stories 
uh, James A.K. would open in 66. I was just three, so I don't really remember that. But you know, I grew up around Kaywood High School. I lived a half mile away there. My mom taught there for 20-plus years. And, uh, you know, that was a merger of Wall Hall and, and Wallens High Schools. And even Black Star a couple of years before it closed. And all those came in together at James A. Kaywood. So, uh, you know, not unusual. I mean, it's a, a story probably you'd, you'd hear in a lot of counties across Kentucky where, where that's happened with, declining population and things like that but it is uh it has changed you know now we're, we're we just have the two high schools and and uh it's a little easier to keep up with them that way i will say that but uh you know they were some great rivalries back in the uh, 80s and 90s i think they started to to uh, die down a little bit with with the quality of the, the competition not getting as as good after a while but uh uh still been a lot of uh, great games and great rivalries uh over the years you're right, and you, you mentioned Lynch, which closed when I was four. My mom went to Lynch. Uh, my uncle was all state in the 60s, Norman Thompson linebacker. And Lynch has four state championships, you know. You can look it up on yeah. the SAA and see, you know, all the schools listed with their titles, but their Lynch is with four, uh, and they were just a terror as a single way school. For bigger schools, I mean, nobody wanted any part of Lynch back in those days. Oh, no question. At 59, 60, 63, 68 were the four state championships. I, I pride myself on the high school sports knowledge. 61, 62, I think. Uh, 71 was the last where they finished runner-up four times between 1959 when Kentucky playoffs started and, and uh, 1971 was their last trip to the finals. They lost to Trigg County. I remember that game. I was eight years old and reading about it in the Enterprise as a third grader, and I lived in Cumberland then, so, you know, kind of followed, followed that. And, and, you know, just a unreal tradition there under Ed Miracle at Lynch with, you know, like I said, eight state finals appearances in about a 15-year period. And, you know, the program did start to fall a little bit when you're looking at a high school with less than 200 kids, I suppose, by the end. Uh, of course, you know, even at the end, Bruce Mitchell was a big basketball star there at Lynch. He went to Eastern the same time I did. Um, you got to watch him play in high school. And, um, so Lynch was very competitive, you know, all the way down the line, basically, and, and had a big role in Cumberland's success. If, if people around here, you know, that were around at the time, remember that when Lynch closed in 81, it was no coincidence that Cumberland just went crazy for about five years there with the talent that they had coming through with the Cumberland kids and the, and the Lynch kids because, you know, Cumberland lost in the state finals in 80. And 83 lost to Russellville, I think, one year in Paris, the next, and then lost to Heath in the 86 finals when, when Freddie Maggard was a senior. So uh, that talent in that Tri City area was just amazing. And, and that's not even talking about baseball. They won that 13 threes in eight straight years in the 80s on through the 90s and, and were a contender for a number of years after that with Roger Morris coaching and then Ralph Roberts coaching basketball there. Was runner-up a couple of times in the region. Should have won a couple of times, and things just you know didn't go their way. But uh, a lot of talent in that uh, Tri-City area. No, no question about that. Yes, definitely would. We've had had Freddie on several times. Had Lewis Morris on, and he was you know a stud in every sport as well. Uh, and then the guys kind of from my day, you know, Charles Tinsley, Anthony Ravage, George Bassett, had all those guys on the show. And, and you know, it, as little as Harlan County is, I mean, you can just list off the names of just, like you said, the talent 
that came out of these mountains as well as surrounding counties is really uh, remarkable. Well, it is, and you know, and the thing is, Harlan County is not as small as you, as you, as most people think. I mean, we lost a lot of population, but in the 1930s, uh, going back a little bit, Harlan County. Most people don't know this. Harlan County was the third largest county in Kentucky uh, at one point. It was about 80,000 people. So you're looking at Jefferson County, Fayette County, and Harlan County were the three biggest counties yeah. in in the state. And and you're talking about the coal mining industry at, at its peak and and the number of people that came into this area, Lynch and uh, Benham and, and uh, Everett and, and so many other places around Harlan County that have these booming uh, uh, communities. So a lot of talent and uh, a lot of tradition. And, you know, of course, the population now is below 30,000. It's still a pretty good-sized eastern Kentucky county because um, right. of Kentucky for one reason has so many small counties. But, uh, yeah, there's a, you know, if you're in Lexington or somewhere like that, it's pretty amazing how many former Harlan Countyans that uh, – that you can run into. Absolutely. I'm talking with editor, sports editor of the Harlem Daily Enterprise, Don Henson. You mentioned reading in the Harlem Daily Enterprise when you were eight years old. I'm going to transition because you told me uh, another aspect of your fandom that developed when you were eight years old uh, when we were on the phone last week. And, Terry, this will be right up your alley. Uh, we mentioned that we're going to talk a little bit about baseball. And, Terry, like yourself, John is a huge Baltimore Orioles fan. So every time, usually every guest that we have on, John, just to kind of clue you in, Terry and I talk, you know, the show centers around UK. You know, all the UK sports, that's kind of the foundation of the show. Then we branch out, you know, NFL, MLB, NBA. Outside of UK, Terry and I don't agree on anything, or, you know, and most of our guests, a lot of them, usually get up liking the same team as Terry. And this is the case now. You, you've been in Baltimore Yeah, yeah. Well, I was up with them until about 1 o'clock this last couple of mornings. They're on the West Coast now <laughs> playing in Oakland. And and, uh, and very aggravating to watch them just uh, struggle offensively like they have in the last uh, couple of games. We're still in first place by percentage points over, over Toronto. But uh, – Offense has, has been a problem lately, and, and the pitching was for for quite a while. But yeah, I've been to, I went to Baltimore earlier this summer. I've been about ten or fifteen times, and uh, I watched you know, all the games on Directv. What a great invention that was! I used to just sit out in my car and listen to uh, AM radio, and that was uh, that was a struggle to find the station. I used to know where every team was located on the AM dial back in the seventies. But uh, yeah, I love the uh, love the Orioles I have since uh, since seventy one. Uh, Jim Palmer and 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 those guys that you know I kind of grew up with and and uh, uh, and it's something I've uh, I've stuck with even through a lot of bad years uh, in the uh, toward the mid 80s through the through the 90s but uh, you know they're pretty competitive right now and and I'm excited about them I just wish they'd get the fast going. See there, TB. Uh, I got your uh, Oreo brother on the show right now. Well, yeah, uh, the Orioles are looking fantastic. You know, since I, I came officially on board last summer, uh, they've been playing real, real well. So I'm, I'm hoping to to bring another World Series title back to Baltimore. Uh, yeah, because they're already celebrating. It, yeah, but the you know with what Michael Phelps is doing, you know Maryland's kind of becoming the the uh, the place to be. So I would love to see the Orioles uh, bring another title back to town. 
Yeah, that'd be great. It's it's been thirty plus years now. I, I was in college the last time they they won one, so uh, I would enjoy that. I'm a I'm a Colts fan too, which they you know of course started in Baltimore and won a, finally won a Super Bowl again about ten years ago, and that was uh, that was quite an experience. But I'd love to see the uh, Orioles still be playing in October and, and maybe make a, a run if if uh, they get that offense going again. I'm gonna bring a call in here in just a second as well, John. I want to speak with you. Um, but when you think Baltimore Orioles, we know the obvious choice for the, the non-Oreo fan or the casual fan, the first player that would, of course, come to mind, you know, Mr. Iron Man himself. Who is your all-time favorite Baltimore Oreo player? Uh, is it Rifkin or is it somebody else that, that's number one in your heart as far as Baltimore Orioles is concerned? Oh, well, yeah, uh, I met Cal in Louisville once. They were playing an exhibition game against the Cardinals, and, and we were down there, and I was able to – I had a press pass. So, I, no, you're not supposed to ask for autographs, and I don't make a habit of that, but I, I made an exception <laughs> in that one. So, you know, I still have a, a Cal Ripken autograph. My favorite player going up, he was on all four World Series teams. The only person that's on all four, I mentioned him a minute ago, Jim Palmer, was our, our best, greatest all-time pitcher, and he does the uh, – the uh, broadcast on most of the television uh, games out, out of Baltimore, and, and just a tremendous pitcher. He played there from 1965 to 1983. He was in the Hall of Fame in, in uh, 1989, I think it was. And and uh, I would definitely say Jim Palmer is my uh, my favorite player. But there have been some other uh, others that I've really liked a lot through the years, including Cal, Bruce Robinson, uh, uh, you know, so many uh, so many good players, so many good pitchers. Over the years, with Scotty McGregor, Mike Flanagan, uh, I go, you know, go way back, Dave McNally to the even to the '60s. But uh, uh, I would definitely say Jim Palmer is my all-time favorite baseball player. That is good stuff. I mentioned we had a caller on the line for you. We have a caller from Lynch, who happens to be my father, Mel Hardy, who brought me into the world. We're bringing you on now, Dad. Let me speak with Mr. John Henson. How are you? Hey, how you doing? Good, good. How are you? Uh, all righty. I, I had intended to get on here a little earlier, but I got uh, hung outside cleaning my bike off my motorcycle and uh, let the time get by me. <laughs> but uh, uh, what all what all have you guys discussed this evening? Uh, We've previewed the Black Bears a little bit, and, and Don kind of laid out the landscape for the district. North Laurel is, is the favorite, but Harlan County is right on their heels again. Uh, we've talked a little old-school Harlan County, uh, going back to the 80s when John started covering uh, high school sports in Harlan County. We went back and talked about some of the Lynch teams uh, that, that won right? the championship. But, yeah, we, we kind of bounced around a little bit. <laughs> well, it sounds like y'all had a pretty good show. It really does. <laughs> but I, I hate I, I missed a lot of that, and uh, I am so glad you got to get on there, John. I, I was hoping to to uh, be a part of that when you did get on, but I'm glad you and my son got together. really am. Well, thank you. Yes, I, I enjoyed it. I love talking uh, Harlan County sports. That's my favorite topic, and, and uh, get a little uh, a little history there. I'm, I'm pretty good at uh, going back at least to the to the late 70s and, and, uh, okay. and talking Harlan County sports. Yeah, yeah. Well, we turned turned out some good running backs uh, up in this part of the country back in those days. Really did. Well, yeah. I, certainly, I, you know, I've I've talked to Joe Washington a few times on on uh, on the internet and and met him uh, once or twice. And 
I was I was in grade school when you know he was a big star there at Lynch, but I remember all the talk and all state running back. We did a we did a story or I did a story in the Enterprise a few years back on the anniversary of the 1968 season when when Washington was a big star at Lynch and Rex Estridge was at Everts and uh, Harlan had that great team that lost or maybe tied Lynch that year and Lynch ended up winning the state championship and. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of great football in that, that era there. Yeah, like the, during that uh, that period, uh, and maybe a little after, Cumberland had Dennis Griffey and, and Eddie Cowlett running back. Uh, had had some really good teams, but just mm-hmm. couldn't get over the hump. But uh, that was a good uh, good time, oh, great time to watch high school football in in Harlem County. Yeah, it was. You know, I was pretty young then, but uh, but I, I do remember some of that. Of course. Uh, uh, Cumberland playing in that 2A district, I think, at that point. And right, uh-huh. Corbin and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Middlesboro and Kaywood and some other. Uh, of course, it took Kaywood a while, but by the mid-70s, they were they were pretty good, too. And, and uh, um, you know, some really tough competition there. And then Cumberland ends up moving to, to Class A, and I guess, in the right. mid to late uh-huh. 70s. And yeah. have a have a, some big rivalry games there with, with Harlan once uh, – you know, once Tim Saylor came in at Cumberland and, and started oh, yeah. that next yeah. great run there in the uh, in the early eighties. Yeah, like I can say it's now, John, now, John, um, I'm just going to jump in, John, because Joe Washington is um, my mom's cousin who went to Lynch. My mom's first cousin. My dad is a Redskin, so you know, you know, Cumberland Lynch rivalry. So that just kind of lets you know how everything falls. <laughs> oh, I can imagine, and, and I was uh, I was a senior in '81, and uh, the last year Lynch was open, and I remember uh, Lynch getting a sh- half court shot in the district tournament that year uh, <laughs> to uh, to beat a really good Cumberland team. Bruce Mitchell was senior year, and uh, I covered. I, well, I was going to say I covered it. I attended it. I was in high school. Uh, the district tournament was at Cumberland that year for the first time in many years, and and. Uh, I'll never forget, uh, never forget that district tournament. <laughs> you won't let me forget it either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, now you know the the broad side of that for the Cumberland Redskins was that that was the first district championship for the Lady Skins there in '81. Uh-huh. Kwood had dominated the district all through the late '70s with Kim Kelly and Lynette Lewis and some of those uh, some of those girls. Basil Mills coaching and John Bond won his first district championship in '81, and then and two years later he or well, three years later, won his first regional championship. So, uh, uh, some pretty good tradition there on the girls' side too. With, with oh yeah, yeah, they did. They had some great girls' teams, and uh, uh, I'll never forget uh, watching uh, uh, Margaret Harris play. And uh, at, at that time, I had never seen a girl play basketball the way she played basketball. <laughs> it was yeah. Cool. I think most people said she played more like a boy than anyone she, had ever she, she did. seen. She and, really and did. Played a, I think she played, was it Oral Roberts she went to? I mean, she went to a big, a pretty big school, I, I think. And, yeah, I think so. I'm not positive, but I think you might be right about that. But she was an yeah, awesome player. A, I mean, she, from, yeah, from one end of the player. court to the other. Uh, she a, a, Actually, at that time, she was a lot better than than a lot of our boy players on the, on the boys' team. <laughs> oh, wow. That, that would have been a, a challenge there. But, you see, I grew up with uh, – Kim Kelly was the first in the county to make great plays. She was at Kaywood, and she uh-huh. went to UNC Charlotte and played and, you know, led Kaywood to a regional championship in 78. And then Margaret, I think, graduated in 82. So she was uh, just a couple years behind her. I'm sure they played against each other some. But, right. but yeah, I think Margaret was the first really good 
Cumberland player, and then after that, you know, Nikki Snow went to LMU, and Monica mm-hmm. Owens went to LMU, yeah. and then of course yeah. in the '90s, Lori Cluck and Joey Lori, Lori was a, Lori was a great, great player. I thought sure she would go yeah. to college. He decided not. Well, to. you know, well, yes, she she had the offers and uh, signed with Tennessee Tech, and then decided to to come back, which so many of them uh, do that. I was there yeah. when Indiana was recruiting her, and Kentucky was recruiting her, and she ended up being an All-State player for at least two years, maybe. I don't know if you you know she was she was a a, a very uh, talented ball player she people didn't realize how good she could handle a ball at her size I don't mm-hmm. think very many people saw her do it because uh, the position she played that John really didn't want her to handle the ball but she could handle the ball like a little guard <laughs> she oh she needed to yeah I mean she yeah. was so the strongest girl player I have ever covered she could take a the basketball out of bounds and throw it the length of the court with one hey, hand like a, a baseball yeah. and, and catch Morris for a layup there on the out of bounds play. I mean <laughs> it was an amazing thing to to watch. And I tell people she was probably the best girls player I've ever covered here and I've been around since the beginning of it and, and there have been some good ones. Uh Debbie Hoskins, you know, played at UK and Tiffany uh-huh. Ham uh, played at West Carolina and and you know now we have Blair Green being recruited by a bunch of Division One schools right, in Harlan uh-huh. County, but yeah. Lori Clark was uh, she was amazing. Yeah, she was a fantastic ball player, really was. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, getting back to football, do you remember? You probably too young to remember a running back that played for Lynch, uh, Daryl T. Atkinson. Uh, I've seen the name listed. Uh, you know, we we did a little off-state list, and, and we've looked up some things like that. And I, I've seen his name, but I don't remember actually seeing him play. Oh, no. He was a, he was an awesome player to uh, uh, running back to watch play. He he used to just toy with defenses. He would he could outrun them or or just run over them or or, or put moves on them. He had every aspect of the of the running back that the mm-hmm. running back needs to be a great running back. Just beautiful back to watch play. Uh, even though yeah. a lot a lot of people consider Joe a better player, I always thought Daryl T was a better running back. Yes. Are they the same age basically or I don't uh, exactly he came a little bit after after Joe. Yeah, it came oh, a okay. Few, okay. few years after Joe. Surely did. Yeah. But a great, yeah. great great running back to watch. And another running back at Cumberland a lot of people forget is uh, Bruce Henderson. I don't know if you ever mm-hmm. well, I remember he, that name. Yeah, mid was. Bobby yeah. McElham. Um, great running back, and and he got hurt. I think probably the last game of his uh, of the season, and uh, uh, colleges everywhere was looking at him. He got a knee messed up and never played any college ball. Well, they, yeah, yeah, they were, and I remember I was in college then. He, he, I'm just a couple of years older than than him, and uh, he uh, ended up being one of the first guys to get a red shirt. They uh, he got hurt his senior year. They yeah. gave him an extra year. He comes back and he plays for a while, and then he gets hurt again, and and yeah. that you know ends his career. But right. yeah, he's been recruited by Michigan, I think maybe. Yeah, and man, he was a great, great, great little high school running back. Surely was. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we had him and David Hensley at Kaywood at the at the same time there, and David mm-hmm. went on to play at, at Eastern, and but some yeah. great, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. some great talent there in the in the uh, in the early eighties. Yeah, definitely. and I, I'm sure you guys covered Scotty Russell while. Uh, Talking about him, some probably. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I did. I did. I got to see Scotty play a lot his uh, his junior and senior year, and and boy, that was just something to see. He, he'd almost uh, he, I, I almost like to see Everett get penalties and get backed up so he could just break <laughs> ninety yards. You know, one, one of the one of the best high school ball games I ever saw ended in a 
eight to seven uh, score was when they played Pikeville in in one of the I guess regional or one of the championship games over at Pikeville. I was and, there, yeah. Regional and wasn't that, there. wasn't that a yeah. fantastic ball game? And Scotty ran the oh, two-point conversion. To, man, you could hear him sound oh, like a, a big uh, thoroughbred horse coming when he when he ran that two-point conversion. Man, he was awesome. Well, I think everybody in the building knew he was going to oh you know, yeah go, go over the top, <laughs> and, and he still uh, he still did it. And you know they were behind. Probably won three state three straight state championships before yeah. Everett went over there and, and beat them in ninety. Uh, followed ninety, and yeah, that was. Uh, the high point, I think, of Everest football in the times I've been watching it because they played Bellevue in the state semifinals the next week and lost. But uh-huh. Just to have yeah. a state semifinal game in Everett, Kentucky, uh, yeah. bringing a team from Cincinnati was just uh, an experience. I, I, yeah. I just never – I don't think I've seen too many things like that. I really enjoyed it. That it was, was, uh, it was awesome. I, I loved it. I, yeah. I mean, we had just a great, great era to watch uh, high school football in, in the county and, and, and some oh, yeah. of the players that came from here. Just, just Definitely. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I, I'm going to hush and listen to you guys, but uh, I'm, I'm glad I got a chance to get on there and talk just a little bit. And Good talking to you. Definitely appreciate you calling. And, John, I sure appreciate you hopping on and taking time out of your evening. And would definitely love to, to get you on again, uh, talk a little Harlan County basketball or baseball or uh, other sports down the line there. But, Definitely been a blast talking with you, and I'm so glad you were able to work it in to join us today. All right. Thank you, Benny. I enjoyed it. Good talking to you. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. That was Don Henson, sports editor of the Harlem Daily Enterprise, uh, going and getting some old-school Harlem County great players, uh, and, of course, previewing Black Bears for this upcoming season uh, as well. We'll take us a quick little break. We got another college that's coming in at 7. But, uh, TB, we got to talk some Olympics and uh, all kind of stuff. We got the U.S. men's team playing Australia right now. Tons of stuff to talk about. You're listening to Cat Talk Wednesday, Benny Hardy and Terry Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, BlockTalkRadio.com. Stay right with us. Right back and just a
Welcome back to Cat Talk Wednesday. Kenny Hardy and Terry Brown. Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Had a fun, almost first hour of the show. UK football, UK basketball, Harlan County High School, new and old football with John Henson, sports editor of the Harlan Net Enterprise. Uh, went way back, went current as well, so that was fun. Um, hadn't talked Olympics yet, and um, lots of stuff going on with that. We had, you know, fellas trying to trash talk Michael Phelps. We had him doing his thing. Kayla Decky doing her thing. Lily King doing her thing. That's just swimming alone. Gymnastics. What's, what's jumped out at you most TV uh, in these first few days of the Olympics? Well, it's it's really the the swimming. You know, you and I both grew up uh, at the tail end of the Cold War, and it was America versus the Soviets. That's the way the movies were made: Red Dawn, Rocky Four, so on and so on. So when you see a little bit of a friction between America and Russia, even today. Uh, those people that follow me on Twitter know anytime it's American versus Russian, uh, I'm the first person to say, you know, do it for Apollo Creed, you know, from Rocky Four. <laughs> uh, for, for for Lily King to, you know, kind of wag her finger at her Russian uh, uh, rival, if you will, and then to not just talk the talk, but but walk the walk and get the gold. I was I was as hyped for that as I have been for for any uh, athletic contest this year. And then you look at Michael Phelps, who you know the night before the semifinals that Laclos Laclos uh, I can't remember his name, you know doing the gyrations and shadow boxing in front of Phelps as Phelps is getting ready, uh, and for Phelps to come out and just obliterate him. Uh, wow. I mean, that's why he's uh, certainly uh, got to have him in the conversation for the best Olympian of all time uh, and the best athlete of all time uh, because the best, they're, they're the best when they have to be. When the lights are brightest, that's when those stars really shine, and that's what Phelps has done on his way to all those gold medals. Yeah, yeah, so it's been... Uh, been fun to watch. It's, it's been captivating, um, and you know the fact that it is, it is swimming, but it was so so intense. You know, I mean, the close beat felt in London. Uh, London arguably clearly was uh, kind of Michael Phelps coming in. I don't know, resting on his laurels might have been, um, might be a little bit too strong of a term, but he wasn't the same as he was in 08. And it's understandable. He won a billion medals in 08, so didn't train quite as rigorously coming into London as he did going into Beijing. Human nature, uh, even though it's every four-year deal, just wasn't as Razor Shark coming into 2012 as he was in 2008. And even with that being said, the close, like, barely beat him. It was 
until he barely inched him out when he wasn't, you know, locked in like he was in 08. So, you know, he's, he's riding his four-year deal of, you know, knocking off Michael Phelps. He won a medal. And then he just, I don't know if he just got to his head or he just wanted to milk it for as long as he could with the strutting and stuff, with the shadow boxing, with the taunting and all that. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, it, it clearly backfired on him. Uh, he didn't even meddle after, you know, coming with all that swag and being all cocky like that. Uh, you know, he got knocked out of third. Didn't even get a bronze out of the deal. So it was just <laughs> that whole two nights with the, the preliminary and then the final, it was just fun to watch. Yeah, and, and, and really, I know the gymnastics team has been just, uh, you know, winning the gold medal yesterday, just been on top of cloud nine. I, I understand the appeal of gymnastics, but it's still one of those events where judging comes into it, so you can't, at least for me, I really can't get into it. But swimming, you know, you got swimming and, and your, your track and field events, those to me, are you faster than the other person? It's just, you know, swimming, it's just some some, some folks in a pool, how fast can you get up and back? I mean, that's, that's to me as basic as it gets. That's what little kids do. Hey, I'm going to outrace you. And when you just get into that pool, uh, you can't blame it on anything else other than this person just beat you. And that's what Phelps has done time and time again, uh, being part of the 4 by 100 medley relay, that gold-winning squad. And, and Phelps looked incredible during that stretch, that's the thing that, that boggles the mind is typically you see athletes only have a one or two Olympic run. Uh, you know, Carl Lewis stretched, uh, stretched his out to, to three. That's a long time to be at the top of your field and see what Phelps has done. Even with that dip in 2012, you know, a silver ain't bad. I mean, I know, you know, it's, a, it, it, it's, it's only a letdown after his 08 performance. And, and it's you have nature. to keep that in it's perspective. And, you know, I tell folks, when you look at, like, Michael Jackson, for example, you look at what uh, dangerous and, and bad sold, those are still fantastic record sales but not in comparison to Thriller, the number one selling album of all time. When you hit that high mark, it's extremely hard to get back to it. But I think with Phelps and his longevity of of how he's been able to dominate, that is uh, phenomenal when you think about these Olympic sports. Because let's be honest, for the most part, Americans, we don't pay attention to track and field and to swimming and to gymnastics except for the Olympics. But you look at Phelps, yeah. he has been on our radar for a long time. And he's, he's been able to, even more than, than a Bruce Jenner, and you know, I'm throwing that out there, but he's been able to take that Olympic notoriety or, 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 or fame and really make it lucrative. I mean, we are paying attention to him even when the Olympics aren't going on which is something, again, you don't typically see from Olympic athletes. Exactly. And the U.S. trailed Australia 54-51. Men's basketball start the 
second half to, I forgot it was on it, too, but I knew it and then forgot, and the first half's already come and gone. Hattie Mills and Australia are uh, holding their own through the first 20 minutes, so there's that as well. You know we, we definitely keep our eyes on the NBA and the basketball, so USA in another tight one after 20 minutes. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have that one on as we, we finish up the, the, the second hour of the show. Uh, you know, oh, are, you, um, are you like on, T-bone it? T-bone it? If you're T-bone it, I won't say anything else. No, 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 no. I'm not T-bone it. I'm saying I'm going to watch it uh, as we finish up. Uh, but I had this oh, interesting okay. conversation uh, on Big Blue Views on Monday with Aaron Torres uh, was on, and his concerns – for the way the roster is constructed. And again, this isn't talking about the character or talking about uh, how good these players are, but what we have found out with uh, Olympic teams, it's all about how you, how the roster is, is constructed. His concern is my concern. And I, I think I touched on this uh, before the Olympics uh, on our show, not having a pass first point guard, I think is a huge change from the way the Olympics, the, the, the men's national team has typically been run, especially the last few outings with Chris Paul, with Jason Kidd kind of running the show. And obviously with, with Magic way back in, in, in 92. I don't, know still, I don't know if it'll still be on when we're done. I'm just saying. Uh, oh, I've got, I've got it on. Got, oh, okay. Yeah, I've got, okay. I've got okay. it on. I, I'm, I'm, I can, I can multitask. But my okay, thing yeah, is yeah, not, yeah. <laughs> Kyrie Irving. <laughs> listen, everybody knows how I feel about Kyrie Irving. He played phenomenal this year in the playoffs. Phenomenal. <laughs> I'm not knocking him for that. He's not a point guard in that traditional sense. He's a shoot, 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 shoot. <laughs> turn it over, travel, then pass point guard. And that's fine. It works for <laughs> Cleveland. What I'm saying is you really – to really open up play in the international style, you, the ball needs to move freely, and you have to have a not only a willing passer, but with Chris Paul and Jason Kidd as two examples, they've got – they can make the passes that, that most point guards, even true point guards, can't make. You've got to make the pass before the pass, and that is really what has set the U.S. apart here with this roster, with these uh, most recent teams. This current roster, again, I have not watched the first half. I'm going to watch the second half and just see how these guys get it done. Uh, again, not saying they're bad people, but sometimes you run into a team, and they will probably end up winning but I still have the concern of not having that pass-first point guard. Uh, you know, I think they may end up getting tripped up. Wow. Hmm. It's not out of the realm of possibility. They they went on a a little spurt to get the lead here in the second half. Uh, Patty Mills is going all out. Of course, he ain't scared because he plays in the NBA. Uh, and they are hanging around. Um, 
it will be interesting to see, like you said, without having a true classic, wow, facilitator in the true sense of the word. Um, and we're trying to get a little cheapiness going right now. A little, <laughs> a little hard foul, that bogus. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, so we'll definitely see. Um, and Venezuela has played ugly. Each time they play, they slow the game down. They can't throw it in the ocean, but they do give the U.S. a lot of resistance and make it hard for them to just, you know, pull away and impose their will on them. It's, it's almost like a track record, you know. Venezuela has done it more than once. It's not a fluke uh, because they struggled for a while before finally blowing them out. Well, and, and the thing is, let's let's not kid ourselves. America is the best at basketball. I, I don't think we can uh, – I'm not one of these people who say, well, I don't know. You know, we are. We are. We just need to learn to deal with it. But, again, it's all about roster construction. And you talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago, about the guys that aren't on the team. And you have to say to yourself, okay, would LeBron James make a difference? I think we can all agree that he would. And he's been very, very good on the international uh, level. But at some point, you've got to give it to these young guys. I think what we're really missing is, and I know with Kevin Durant on the team, but a, a bridge person from some of the other successful teams uh, to really kind of be the elder statesman. You know, we saw that uh, with Kobe being that guy uh, previously. So we're missing that. And, wow, Kevin Durant just got blocked. But anyway, uh, there, there's some real concern with how the this, this team is constructed. Uh, you know, what kind of uh, team do we have if Carmelo Anthony, and I'm not knocking him, but – if he's the elder statesman, if he's the leader, I think that says a, a little bit, not maybe not a lot, a little bit about what what this team uh, is doing. So, hope like with my cats, I think it should go without saying. I want the team to win, but I just had concerns going in uh, about it. Right, right. So we shall see. We shall see. Um. A-Rod's career coming to a close. Now, you being a fan of a team in the AL East, uh, an Orioles fan, uh, going to be released and moved over to, like, an advisor role, like, this week. Uh, he hasn't hit well, uh, had to sit out a whole year. Uh, coming, You know, we all know about all that, but just your thoughts on A-Rod, you know? Crazy numbers, but he also has paint in history. And you know, where you come out on, hey, Rod? Well, and, and here's the thing: uh, uh, talking about baseball and baseball being so tied to numbers, even though numbers you really can't apply them across uh, the generations. I, I, I think that's a flaw inherent in baseball. Uh, but the thing about a Rod, yes he uh, admitted eventually to taking some things. But the thing is about A-Rod and about Barry Bonds, they're not very likable. That's what really gets them into trouble. A-Rod 
is always and, and bonds have, have come off kind of as arrogant and yada yada yada. So they're not able to absorb the hit as some of these other quote unquote cheaters. Um, and that's kind of the issue. What is eventually going to have to happen is these baseball writers are going to need to get over themselves and they're going to need to figure out a way to include players from this era. Even if those folks have admitted, like A-Rod, that they did something, you can still put them in and uh, you can, I, I don't like to say asterisks, but you can say this is the era that they played in. There's no harm in that. Baseball should do that. You've got the dead ball era. And, and honestly, uh, something my dad always talked about that for whatever reason doesn't get brought up, a lot of these all-time greats, they didn't play against black people. Before it was integrated, yeah. Would yeah. would would the twenty seven Yankees have been the twenty seven Yankees? I mean, you just look at the way Major League Baseball looks right now, and and Miguel Cabrera, David Ortiz. You know, I can go on and on and on. Take those guys out of the league. Just just take just take them out. And what do you have left? You've got certainly you're going to have some good players, but does it look does it look like the league we have now? Of course not. So my biggest issue with baseball is making these records from the twenties and thirties, these teams, these players, super superhuman when they didn't play against everybody. You know, uh you know, we we've had folks come on and talk about the Negro League stars. You know, we we, we we've talked about that. And if those guys had gotten an opportunity back then, how would the, the league have looked? So you've got to include these guys. Yes, they, they quote-unquote cheated, but there's always been folks that have taken an edge in baseball. Baseball celebrates some cheating, but not all cheating. And, that, and that's the thing that, that, that really blows my mind. Um, when you hear those guys talk about popping amphetamines in the 70s and 80s, if you're not doing yeah. it, then you're not trying to win. Well, what, what's that? That's a stimulant. If you're popped up on amphetamines, you're more alert, more with it than somebody that's not. How is that not an advantage? You know, we've got guys in the Hall of Fame that have scuffed baseballs, that have done this, that, and the other, and they're not unrepentant. They're proud of the fact they were able to skirt the rules. So, yeah. Where do you draw this? Where do you draw this line? And that's my biggest issue with baseball is they they want to take this moral high ground all of a sudden, and 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 the media has a lot to blame because I'm old enough to remember in 1998, McGuire and Sosa, and all these other guys. All of a sudden, you got a guy that's never hit 20 home runs in the season now hitting 50 and looking like you know, a great God, well, th- th- the red flag's got to be raised. And they didn't. We all bought it hook, line, and sinker. And now you can't now punish these guys because you look the other way for 10 to 15 years. That's not the way this works. I think Bonds needs to be in. Clemens needs to be in the Hall of Fame. I think you put A-Rod in there, and you say, this is the era we played in. The same way with Babe Ruth. He didn't play against Negroes. So, <laughs> you can I mean, you, you just explain you just explain that. 
I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Maybe I'm naive, but that's just my stance on, on that. And specifically, A-Rod, this is what, what gets me as well, is we don't know everybody that took performance-enhancing drugs. We don't know. We don't know how many Joe Smith in the Major League Baseball took it and were still just Joe Smith. Okay, we are upset because great players took something they probably didn't need to take in the first place. You know, the thing is, A-Rod was good before without it. Bonds was good before uh, he got involved without it. And I think that upsets a lot of people, too, is these guys didn't need to take it. Bonds could have got into the Hall of Fame based on what he did in in Pittsburgh alone before getting involved. And I think that is my biggest kind of aggravation is these are the guys that didn't need it. You're already great. You're already one of the greatest. You didn't need that extra edge, but you know we're all human. We all want that a little bit more. So I, you know I, I can understand that aspect. But I say A. Rod should get in. Of course, he's not a fan favorite for all his narcissistic uh, activities and everything like that. So um, it's it's kind of a a dull end to his career. He didn't get the farewell tour. He didn't get even, you know, kind of a press conference. I mean, the season is still going on, and he's going to get lost in the shuffle. It was just such a, just an abrupt stop. I mean, can't even finish out the season. The Yankees aren't going anywhere. They're not going to make it 12. I mean, with all these wild cards, they're not, they're not as, on fumes as they normally would be with it being two wild cards. But still, I mean, at the trade deadline, the Yankees were dealing. The Yankees sent, you know, Rodgers Chapman to the Cubs. The Yankees don't really feel like they're contenders. They were sellers instead of buyers. Um, so this is kind of your granddad the Yankees. You what? It's not your granddad's Yankees or even your our Yankees. No. No, and I love seeing the Yankees sellers at the trade deadline. I know, you know, the Yankees love them or hate them. Kentucky basketball love it or hate it. I've never, you know, never been a fan of the Yankees. Um, so, you know, seeing them struggle never hurts my feelings. But, you know, let A-Rod go ahead and finish out the season, uh, you know, and then – Last day of the regular season, then kind of ended. It just stopped so abruptly. You heard the report that it's going to be released, and I was like, wow, that's wow. And it's just all developed kind of good odds. Me, I don't know. And I didn't care for him anyway. Even when he was with the Yankees, you know, you said you, you know, you know, people don't like him, not a fan favorite. I never cared for him. Uh, but, now, that's not saying I disagree with you and saying he, he hasn't put up Hall of Fame numbers because he has. Got 696 home runs. You know, going to be had he finished out the season, even though he was struggling, there was a chance he would have been what fourth guy to hit 700. Aaron, this is the third guy in Bonds, the fourth guy to hit 700 home runs. So, I mean, it's just odd the way it played out. Like him or not, it is a little bit weird. It, and and that's that's that. Yeah, it's just a weird kind of retirement because uh, he's not even 
the worst player on the team. That's the thing, too. He's not doing great, but he's not stinking it up. So it's just a frustrating kind of kind of thing. And you know, he, he finally got – he's had a weird kind of career. You know, he finally got a, a ring with the Yankees, uh, I think 2008, 2009. Uh, for years, you know, he was that bat in clutch situations and wasn't able to come through. And then, you know, you have guys like Craig Council with the Marlins, you know, Edgar Renteria, guys like that, you know, are still famous for hits that they came up with in the playoffs. Uh, and time and time again, A-Rod, you know, kind of came up short and wasn't able to get it done in the clutch. But when he would hit a home run, it'd be one of those kind of meaningless home runs where they're already winning, you know, 7-2. So it's not like, yeah, A-Rod really, you know, pulled us through. So he, from that standpoint, he kind of, you know, got a bad rap. He got the shaft. When he left Seattle, I think the same thing might have happened with Griffey. And Randy Johnson, the team would still have good years even after they left. <laughs> I mean, uh, and then the Texas deal, that's remembered more for the contract, for that monster 10-year, $252 million contract. So it's just been a, you know, a weird 22-year career, right, right, all the way around. Yeah, uh, you know, Seattle, and that that's going to make a good 30 for 30. When you look at Randy Johnson – uh, you look at King Griffey Jr., Alex Rodriguez, uh, even uh, Edgar Martinez, Jay Beaner. They they had some – it's one of those, how did they not mess around and at least get to a World Series? That's uh, mm-hmm. that's going to be the thing because it wasn't, you know, uh, with, with, with King Griffey Jr. going into the Hall of Fame, it wasn't just him. Of course, he was the, uh, he was the guy, but those were some really talented – Mariners team that for whatever reason really couldn't get over that hump with all that talent and, and, and really make noise uh, in the playoffs, like you would think. And one year, didn't they, they set the record for wins, 116 wins, 120 wins, something like that. They're like 116 and 46 or something. Yeah. And that was the year the Yankees knocked them out. Um, so, yeah, kind of like the Warriors, this year, at least the Warriors made it to the finals, going seven three and nine. Those those Mariners didn't even make it to the World Series. I don't even know if they made it to the. I guess they made it to the ALCS. I'm not sure how it was set up back then. Or did they go out? I think in the, I th- in the division series. I don't. I'd have to research that. But it, that's the thing to think about too: is all these teams that set the record for wins in the sports, not winning, not having that title. So it's going to be a debate about whether or not going for those wins is, is worth it. Even though you, you don't really think that they should be related. Uh, but you look at the Patriots uh, a few years ago, the Warriors of this year, uh, those Mariners, uh, all those wins, but not being able to, to get those, those wins when it counted. Uh just just food for thought, I mean, I don't think they're related in any way, but it's just one of those things when you look at it, you say, okay, that's weird, if nothing else. And I don't I don't know if Golden State came into this season saying they're going to win 70, 
but they got off to that 24-0 and start. So, I mean, you're you're more than a third of the way there. So, at that point, then you might as well, you know, try to get it. You know, I mean, if they'd have dropped the game somewhere in, you know, if they'd have went 13-1 or something like that, or instead of going 24-0 and maybe they dropped the game or two, then I don't know if we even had them pursuing it. But, you know, when you start off like that, where – you know, it's one of the longest streaks in the history of the league, you know, outside of your Lakers in 33, and then the Heat went 27 in a row or something like that. Uh, so it's, you know, top five winning streak in the league. But if you start out the gate like that, you might as well try to go on and get it at that point. Yeah, and I'm watching a little bit of this game. If Clay Thompson is not going to take that international three-point shot, then why is he even on the team? That, uh, that uh, yeah, I'm just watch a little bit of the game. He he's got the Splash Brother catch and shoot guy that we all saw score 38 points in a quarter. If he is not going to take that international three point shot, which is shorter than the NBA line, then then why are you on the team here, Clay Thompson? So just a little bit of commentary as we go. Uh, but when you think <laughs> about these all time wins, uh, you, I know that we've had discussions. Uh, during the 2014-15 Kentucky season, getting to 38-0, and 0, should they have dropped a game? You know, is it one of those things, you know, most wins in NCAA uh, history, but but without the ultimate goal, and now Australia's up 72-70. So Coach K's got to do something. Got to do something right now. Hello. I am not a fan. I'm not a fan of this lineup. Not not by a long shot. Mello Carmelo Anthony and one to get the lead back. Yeah, um, uh, I thought Jimmy Butler might but, be more of a factor on this team, but he's a couple well, games I've watched, he hasn't got much clock at all. Well, and that's the thing too. There are a lot of guys that are unsure of this, so I would have liked to see at least try to get one more veteran on the team to to really kind of be that steady and influence. Um, that would have been my preference, but I'm not in charge of USA basketball, so there you go. Mr. Colangelo sweating <laughs> it right now. Sweating. <laughs> well, I, I, I need to get, get on my little soapbox about the finals before the season starts. Got an air ball by Australia, which is very necessary. Yeah, he might have got hit on the elbow, but it is what it is. Oh, at the end, yeah, Dylan, Dilly, I forgot about him being from Australia. Got Dilly and Patty Mills and Bogut. So, yeah, Australia, you know, they all about scrapping and not going to give up. Um, we, we, we saw in the 2015 finals, we both picked Cleveland to win in six. We thought LeBron would just be ultra superhuman and and lead Cleveland to the victory in the finals. Uh, that wasn't the case. After all those games, we saw, you know, of course, Kyrie and Love were already out. LeBron would kind of come hobbling into the press conference uh, because he had played, you know, major minutes, doing everything, bringing the ball up, setting the offense, you know, literally doing everything for that shorthanded team. And, you know, we knew that. We knew you were injured. We saw that. We know. Um, 
Now, a year later, Steph Curry got hurt twice in the playoffs. Got hurt the Rockets. Got hurt again against Portland or something like that. Uh, the ankle and then the knee. He was still playing come June, but he wasn't the same. Did the dollar has back spasms in the finals? He's hobbled. Bogut goes out with that hyperextended knee. You lose Bogut. Draymond got himself suspended. But we just don't hear as much about Golden State being injured and, and depleted like we did Cleveland the year before. I'm just saying. And there's been several finals in history where that's been the case. You know, maybe the Celtics were strong, the Lakers were not, vice versa. We just don't. We didn't hear as much about what Golden State was dealing with as we did Cleveland the year before. Well, I, I think what, what really hurt is because the difference in my mind is, well, yeah, Golden State eventually got banged up into the finals. But Cleveland didn't didn't even besides the for game one didn't even have their big three for the finals that year, and I think that's the that's the difference. Part of 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 being a, a great team is you got to be great, but you got to be fortunate with with injuries. And as much as we like to attach winning to all these kind of superhuman qualities of will to win and yada, 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 you know, you, you have to look at there's a little bit of luck as far as injuries go. The Pistons should have beaten the Lakers in the 88 finals. But Isaiah yeah. Thomas, who rolls his ankle and plays on one leg, uh, puts up that tremendous 30-point quarter in the finals on one good leg, you know he can't he can't go the the next you know there's there's a lot of things that you have to that go into winning a championship that uh, we we don't like to, to talk about but injuries are a big thing winning and especially in the NBA where the postseason becomes a whole nother season and what we have seen is teams that, you know, you go to the finals so many years in a row, it, it, it takes a toll on you. That's the one thing about LeBron that blows my mind is six straight finals, and he's still logging these really superhuman minutes. Because when you look at other teams, three finals in a row, and, and the wheels kind of come falling off, literally. So what LeBron's doing, that is that is strange. And I don't know – We'll have to see this coming season how Golden State reacts. Now, it's going to be different with Durant in the fold. Curry's not going to be asked to do as much. Clay Thompson's not going to be uh, asked to do as much. It's going to be a different look. But still, Curry got banged up in the playoffs. That's going to happen. Uh, but for me, that like I said, the difference is we didn't even see Kevin Love in the finals last year. You know, we didn't see Kyrie but the one game that he played really, really well in uh, the finals last year. To me, that's that's the difference. And I know Steph was banged up, but for, for my money, you've got Steph Curry, Kevin Love is guarding you. 
you can't give him a bailout shot with the finals on the line. And a lot of what happened with that is the, the Warriors got careless with the, with the basketball, with some of their play calls. I think that's what affected them a little bit more than, than even some of the injuries. Yeah, I just thought it it's you know at least a dab of a mention. But uh, oh well. I just had to get on my little box for just a minute. Uh just to go I let a few weeks go by and I was like, I just I just need to go ahead and and make that make that point. Um let's take another quick break, quit that breath. Still got a lot of stuff to get to in the last half hour of the show. United States is in a tight one with Australia. We'll commentate it as we finish out the show. Listening to Cats Talk Wednesday, Vinnie Hardy and Terry Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. We'll be right back in a couple minutes. Real love, someone to break my heart. I need real love. I was gone from the very start. I'm so serious. Got me so delirious We can have a rough experience Cause everything is built I'm feeling it You up, we touch And you gonna keep me up until We laugh, we talk But we never confirm if this is real Welcome back to Cats Talk Wednesday. 
Penny Hardy, Terry Brown, uh, Cat Cup Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter, 845-277-9373. Number to get a hold of us. Had a fun show once again. Want to get to bad news on two fronts for two reasons. Just when you look at ESPN and talk about it, well, well, both of them happened just last week. One being, you know, Tom Jackson is retiring from ESPN, which it's going to be sad not seeing him on there. We talk about the embrace debate and all that and, and the different shows and all that. Uh, you know, fan of some, fan of others, not a fan of others, however you want to look at it. Um, and then you look at Tom being on primetime back in the day when it was straight up just primetime, not the blitz like it is now. Uh Berman and Tom, after the games went off from like like 7 to 8 on Sunday, uh, I mean, you just couldn't beat that to me. Uh, I really like that. Uh, and then this sad week today, it's hard to even put them together, but you got to mention them because I want to talk about them. John Saunders passing away suddenly today, uh, 61 years old. Uh, we saw him, and, and you know, on sports reporters, on your know, football, basketball, true pro, a class guy, everything he did. Kind of like Mike Tarico, who was left ESPN, but you know, you kind of put those guys in the same category to, you know, taking care of business in in every aspect, no matter what they were doing. But it's not going to be the same, and you know, you wish Tom. After retirement, sad that he's not going to be there. But, you know, then John Saunders passing away is, is on a whole other level. Uh, yeah. I think it's just unbelievable hearing that today. Yeah. And, and a couple of points. Uh, Tom Jackson, uh, yeah, he's a Louisville guy. That, that, you know. <laughs> but right now, you know, Chris Berman, he's kind of the lightning rod for whatever, his shtick and whatever. But folks, and again, you know, we're always dating ourselves. Uh, the the way he and Berman did those highlights, I mean, I can still hear the theme music uh, that they would play during the highlights. It was must-see TV. It was mm-hmm. when the late game would end, you know, it would be a rush to get to ESP. I mean, there were times. I would turn off the late game just to get to NFL prime time. They made it fun. It was informative. And it was one of those things. It was lightning in a bottle uh, because it it was like, okay, Berman and Tom Jackson were meant to do this show. Just the two of them back and forth over the highlights. Berman with his showmanship. But even as they're doing that, Tom Jackson would give you little nuggets. He would show little things. You know, he would show you, yeah, there was the big play. You know, somebody would have a big run, big touchdown pass. But he would show you, you know, how somebody took on the linebacker to make that play available. It was a learning experience, and it was fun. And the two of them going back and forth, that was a fantastic hour of television. And I was legitimately sad when – 
with the contracts came out and they changed. Tom Jackson, uh, he's definitely going to be missed. He's, he's a big part of the UofL football family. Uh, but NFL primetime, you know, yes, Berman Stick is, 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 is kind of old and played out at this point, but for uh, I believe it was like 20 years, the two of those guys doing the show, I just remember watching that side by side with my dad uh, for years and years and years. So uh, definitely he's going to be missed. He deserved more of a swan song, I think, than, than he got. Uh, so I'm a little disappointed by that. Also, see, see Kyrie Irving just went one on everybody. We need a pass first point guard, and it's, it's not even it's, – it's just blowing my mind. It's just, this is just blowing my mind how the – it's 90 to 86 with a minute – 45 left. But anyway, uh, but John Saunders, uh, his passing, sad for, for his wife and his girls he's leaving behind. And uh, one of those things, I, I loved him on the sports reporters because over the last 15, 10 to 15 years, as ESPN moved toward the embrace debate, there were fewer and fewer personalities that you could watch and would give you a nuanced approach to any sports topic. No matter where John Saunders was in the booth, porters, uh, sideline, wherever, he gave you a fair and balanced look at the news of the day. And he was always thoughtful. It was always, and, and this is, uh, I think pretty high praise for somebody on television. He always felt genuine. He always felt like this, he wasn't just saying it to say it. This is what he believed. This was his truly his point of view. So he will definitely be missed uh, on ESPN. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> he was just it was just pure class every time he was on. They had. Um, Stephen A. Smith was on first take, and he had just found out about Thunder's passing like two minutes before he came on. So, I mean, he had literally no time to to, to process it. He was processing it on the air. Uh, I think it was himself and and Max Kellerman uh, that were on there, and, and he described John Saunders you know, as the mentor, the big brother, the father figure, the advisor to guys like himself, mentioned that, you know, Saunders had been there since 86, you know, 30 years at ESPN. Mentioned that there there may not be a Stuart Scott at ESPN without John Saunders. So, I mean, uh, and he's literally composing himself as he's, you know, kind of reflecting. He didn't have time to reflect and then, you know, kind of give a, a more of a tribute. He was kind of doing it all simultaneously. Um, but just the impact and the um, the, the mentoring and, and the, the effect uh, that, that, that Saunders had on him, you could tell uh, that it was genuinely uh, something that he won't forget, something he was very grateful for. As well, and when you go back to Tom Jackson, um, he, he's a guy. It didn't even bother me 
that he went to Louisville. He, it didn't even it didn't even make you kind of like ah, he went to it, it didn't even ruffle my feathers that he went to Louisville. And that that alone just tells us all we need to know. Um, the only other Louisville guy that really didn't really ruffle my feathers would probably be. Francisco Garcia when he played for the Rockets because you know he's playing for the Rockets. Other than that, you know, oh yeah, he went to Louisville. Uh, you know, he eventually, I think, uh, as a Cardinal. But I didn't think that with Tom Jackson. And every time a Louisville guy made a play, Chris Berman would say, "Harry Douglas, Tom from Louisville," didn't bother me a bit. Anybody from Louisville, Michael Bush, a little bit when he was in the league, Elvis Zumerville, from Louisville. And Tom was saying, so happy and so joyful as he stood because that's his alma mater. It didn't even bother me. That's how much I like prime time. And you talk about Chris Berman's stick. It used to be awesome. It is a little tired now. It's a little sloppy now. The stuff he did with everybody's nicknames, oh, uh, it was clever. It was fresh. We'd never seen it before, never heard it before. Same thing with Stuart Scott. Chris Berman was the same way. And then when, I know you remember this, any time a guy whose last name was Jackson would make a play, Berman would kick it over to Tom, and Tom would go, hee-hee, just because, you know, mm-hmm. Michael Jackson, the whole Tom Jackson thing. And there was actually a Michael Jackson that played for the Baltimore Ravens, and he made like two or three plays in a row on one particular highlight, and Tom was just hee-heeing as high as he could, and that last one he had nothing left, and it was hilarious. And he was laughing because he couldn't go any higher with it, but Michael Jackson kept making plays. And that's that's some of the stuff you remember with Primetime, with Berman and Jackson, and just like you said, it was lightning in a bottle for decades. It wasn't just a flash. It was, it was just the same lightning in a bottle. Yeah, it's one of those things, uh, and you and I know just how uh, really difficult. And I think we've we've done better uh, when you've got when you're doing a show and and you've got to find out how the other guy does it and, and really work at it. Uh, but they, it, it sounded natural, you know. You just always remember, you know, that's the sound of my youth, you know, dating myself. But you you just couldn't wait to see. Uh, Berman and, and, and Jackson on uh, primetime. And, you know, I remember thinking, you know, watching a game and thinking, how, is, how are they going to do this? You know, and, and being a 49ers fan like myself and, you know, uh, I forget who your favorite team is, but back, you know, in the, the mid to late 90s when both teams were very, very good and they were always big games, you couldn't wait for the highlights uh to come out. So very, uh, uh, you know, I tip my hat to him, even for a Louisville guy, uh, tip my hat that, uh, just a, just an outstanding career. Yeah, absolutely. And we have to at least flash back and look back at the hall of fame. ceremony. It wasn't a game, not a game, not a game, as they, I would say, cause there wasn't a game. But there was still an enshrinement ceremony. Um, I was kind of in and out on it, you know, this weekend, uh, being back home. But I, I saw a little bit of far speech, and I was watching some of Tony Dungy's today. 
and Kevin Green, which was cool, and his highlight with the Rams and showed us sacking Steve Young, so that made it awesome all in itself. But it was a it was a, a great ceremony. Uh, Brett Favre, as a kid, his only NFL game he went to, he watched an old Kim Stabler come out for the Saints, and he wanted to be that old gray-headed guy one day. And, of course, uh, he ended up being that old gray-headed guy and, and got to play for years and years. Tony Dungy, pure class. Uh, Kevin Green, Orlando Pace. Uh, a great class of guys that went into the – and your guy, uh, I forget the team he owns, but he made some notable contributions to the NFL. They even put him in, too. Um, Mr. D or something like that. Uh, yeah, the five-time Super Bowl winning champion, uh, San Francisco 49ers. But the important thing is, I, I really – we talked about this last week. I love the Hall of Fame. For folks that haven't gone, I think they should go. It's a fantastic thing. Uh, it hit my time hop that it was uh, six years ago that I went and saw Jerry go in, uh, along with your guy, Emmett Smith. Just great memories. Um, and it's just fantastic to see uh, those guys kind of get their, get their due, get, get enshrined, and, and that, uh, that was just fantastic. Yeah, and here's what I didn't know. had no idea. SEC fan, born and raised in the SEC, Kentucky football, you know, has had it. There are bumps and bruises and struggles in SEC play. I know he's before my time, and, and and when you look at who he played with, maybe it's justifiable that I don't know. But Kevin Green went to Auburn. I had no idea until he was up there talking about it during his speech. I did not know he went to Auburn. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, uh, <laughs> because he he wasn't one of these guys even way back when that was kind of highly touted. You just for me, he was just kind of out of the blue, just a, a sacking madman all over the field. So uh, yeah, you know that that's one of those things you can you can SEC SEC right there. Yeah, I had no, and then you thought of <laughs> doing his speech. You know, he mentions it. Because it, the bio, it showed he was born in, like, New York or something like that. And he was a, a military kid, so his dad moved all around. Uh, so I'm like, yeah, born in New York. I still wasn't even thinking about where he went to college. And then the tweet, you know, from Cam Newton talking about, you know, War Eagle for the great Auburn Tiger and former Panther. I'm like, what? And then he's talking about his time at Auburn. And, of course, you know, Bo Jackson ran him over <laughs> like he did everybody. Uh, and then he talked about his time in the uh, in, in the NFL at his various different stops uh, when he was with the Rams in practice, getting beat on by Jackie Slater, one of the greatest tackles ever, uh, and learning from it. Uh, Eric Dickerson running circles around him in practice and him learning from it and continuing to get better. Uh, and then all the guys he played for with the Steelers, with Steelers and 49ers and Redskins, they're all the same to me as far as I feel about them. But they were he had a good core of teammates and he of course missing Greg Lloyd and Rod Woodson and all the players he played with. And then the same thing at the Panthers. But yeah, I I didn't I ain't even never even thought about where he went to college. He was just like 
Hulk Hogan of the NFL when he played. You know, if Hulk had been in the NFL, he'd have been Kevin Green. Kevin Green had been in the <laughs> WWE, he'd been Hulk Hogan. That's you know, that's what I've thought about him. Never thought about his college days at all. Crazy. <laughs> I like that analogy. <laughs> I mean, they're so similar. You know, he would get a sack. He would have been a perfect WWE guy. <laughs> I can see him easily fitting in. You know, in his prime. You know, when he was at his peak, I could see him, you know, hitting somebody with a chair, jumping off the top rope. It wouldn't have been nothing to it. (laughs) (laughs) So congratulations to all of them. Uh, It's always fun watching the Hall of Fame uh, ceremony. Um, The game is always so-so. It's always, you know, sloppy preseason. Um, but, you know, there, there, there wasn't a game this time this weekend, so everybody had to wait a little bit longer to get that football itch scratched. Um, there's some games Friday coming up. And Saturday, uh, <clears throat> my Cowboys play a preseason game against the Rams, uh, so I'll definitely check that out. And uh, we'll get our first doses of football this week instead of last weekend. With, yeah, uh, with, we've been talking leading up. Football season is here. Uh, now that school has started, uh, pretty soon they're going to be Friday nights are going to be the sounds of those pads cracking all across the uh, country and then the Saturday and then Sunday. So we're heading into that time of year. Uh, and congrats to the uh, men's Olympic basketball team on, on pulling out the victory over uh, – Australia, uh, Carmelo Anthony, uh, right on cue after after me hinting that his leadership might not be what it takes. He he comes out and he shows uh, that he does have what it takes, and uh, yeah. so he hit some really big shots in the second half. So uh, there's always going to be some room for improvement. So I definitely hope Coach K and those guys, uh, and I know they will, will 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 go out and will learn from. Uh, this this close game, what they can do to to shore up another uh, Olympic gold medal. Yeah, yeah. This uh, they if they weren't focused. This will bring them into focus, and, and the coaches will definitely make sure that everybody's attention is on uh, cleaning things up. Even the ending was very sloppy uh, on both sides. Um, even though they were trying to kind of you know, run it out and, and milk the clock and stuff. There was a lot of sloppy stuff in the end. Uh, getting back to the NFL Hall of Fame, too, I forgot uh, Marvin Harrison, who gave a speech way longer than I ever thought he would have possibly, you know, given. I tweeted out right before he got up on the podium over under on, you know, how long his speech would be, you know, what do y'all think? And he actually talked for 11 minutes and uh, was seemingly more comfortable than I would have thought. And, you know, thanks to a lot of people and, and told a couple of good stories as well. Uh, so congratulations to him, too. Um, and congratulations to the back to baseball, Ichiro Suzuki, on getting his 3,000 hits. Uh, those type of milestones are always cool. You know, 500 home runs. It's a little bit tiny compared, you know, we talked about the different eras. But 500 is still a nice, solid number. And so is 3,000. And Ichiro joined the 3,000 hit club. 
didn't come over to the major leagues till he was like 27. So if he comes in six, seven years earlier, how many hits do you think he has? Could he have top 4,000? Could he have challenged Pete Rose? What do you think? I, I think so, and I think that goes without saying because he's still able to produce at this uh, advanced age. Uh, you know, I'm not going to get as bit out of shape as some of the, the Reds fans are, but, uh, you know, honestly, I mean, Ichiro is a, is a fantastic hitter, and that's not to take away from uh, all that, and I don't think you can add in what he did in the Japanese league to major league. I don't think you can – that transfer of property doesn't work, but I think you can put him down for uh, at, at a young, you know, if you put him in uh, even five years earlier, uh, you know, five, 600 more hits, I don't think would be uh, crazy talk. And, and, you know, you could kind of put him in that rarefied air to get close to Pete Rose, but uh, just, he's, he's been a joy to watch. He's, you know, even though he didn't get here until late in his uh, late in his playing days, he still made a huge, huge impact here in Major League Baseball. Yeah, he definitely did. This is one of these stories that we, you know, we talk about how we let stuff marinate if we don't get to it, and if it's still pertinent, we'll bring it up the following week. Definitely have to talk about this next week because it's been brewing for a while. This Maurice Smith deal at Alabama, who was one of the transfers to Georgia, played for Kirby Smart. Nick Saban was not wanting to release him and definitely not wanting to release him before he could play for another school in the SEC. And that is a rule. You can't transfer to a, another school within your conference. And supposedly Smith said he found his locker room trashed and they threw all his belongings in the garbage and he's been ostracized from the team. And it's been a big mess between Nick Saban and Maurice Smith and his family. Time was running out on Smith to enroll somewhere. And now it's just coming out on Twitter. Maurice Smith is trending because it says Nick Saban uh, relents and grants him his release. Nick Saban is putting the ball in the SEC official's hands. That's not saying he's going to get to go to Georgia, but he's finally been released from Alabama. So uh, we got a couple minutes left. I definitely want to kind of talk about this next week. Uh, I was texting Meredith Hornsby, uh, who was on our show before the National Championship game, and she covers Alabama for BamaHammer.com. I was texting her about it a little bit back and forth. But I, it's just it's just a big old mess. You got Nick Saban, his assistant, and, and this kid wants to go where his assistant is, and it's just a, a, a huge mess. And he's finally got his release just a few minutes ago. That's good. That's good. I don't want to get on my Jay Billis soapbox, but definitely uh, the NCAA and, and schools and their transfer policies are are crazy. Yeah. So I, that'll be your topic next week if you want to get on the soapbox about it because like I said, man, this has been brewing too. We, it was happening last week and the week before. We just had so much other stuff to talk about, like you always do. Didn't get to mention it. So at least the kid is relieved. Uh, we'll see what happens next week. Maybe he'll have decided on where he's going to go. But, uh, yeah, so 
At least one part of it has been resolved. But this little drama between Nick Saban and Kirby Smart is, is, is getting kind of juicy, getting kind of dicey already. I don't know when Alabama plays Georgia. They don't play every year, but it's already getting messy and nasty. Well, you had a feeling it was going to uh, get that way. That, that's any time the, the people leave the master, you have that uh, back and forth. So I don't think this will be the last we hear of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, it's been another fun show. We uh, talked some old school Harlan County football, high school football with John Henson. Um, talked football and basketball. He says, Floreal, going to devote his attention to track. Daryl Long transferred. Reggie Mint is out for personal reasons. We hope everything works out for the best for him as far as that situation goes. And hopefully uh, the other guys on the defensive line now, there's a bigger void now. Uh, But hopefully they can step up and maybe we can have some surprise performances. Matt Elam has lost some weight. He's got a big load to carry, as well as the rest of the guys. Just so far about his screens coming back. So, uh, and oh, two TV. Before we go, Marcus Spears on SEC Network last night did his dream team position by position. You know, his his D line, his linebackers, his corners, his safety. He picked the school for each position. He picked like Texas A&M D line, Vanderbilt linebackers. Alabama's safety, but if he had to choose corners from the SEC right now, he went with UK's corners for his dream team defense. How about that? Well, you know, we've we've talked about that before, that the the secondary is going to be strong. Uh, Chris Westry has been a a star in the making in Lexington. Uh, The question is whether or not that that defensive line is going to be able to create enough pressure going forward. But, yeah, that's good news that – uh, yeah, the, the the football cats are starting to have the look and the feel of an SEC football team. Absolutely. We'll close it out on that note. Uh, we might have some special announcements in the coming weeks. I DM'd you about it, so we'll keep getting some details on that. Appreciate everybody listening. As soon as we know some stuff we can announce, we'll let y'all know. Appreciate John Henson for hopping on. Appreciate my dad, Mel Hardy, for calling in. Enjoy watching the Cowboys this coming weekend, TV. I know you will. Have a good evening tonight and a good weekend. And can't wait to talk about this Maurice Smith stuff and whatever else happens between now and then. Next week on Cast Talk Wednesday, Vinny Hardy, Terry Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. We'll see y'all next week. Have a good evening. Appreciate the TV. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Might be on TV one day. Appreciate (laughs) y'all.